one movie that I have probably watched a hundred times and 90 of them have been since I've become a dad. It's the movie Home Alone. Home Alone. You ever seen this movie Home Alone before? Home Alone is one of my favorite holiday movies. In it, young Kevin McAllister, the night before he and his family take a, a Christmas vacation, he has all kinds of problems with his family. He's getting picked on and bullied by his siblings, by his older brother, by his cousins, by his uncle. He even gets into a big argument with his mother after getting sent to the attic by her as a form of punishment. Before he goes to bed, he wishes that his family would disappear. He wishes that they would be gone. He doesn't want them around anymore. And when he wakes up the next morning, he realizes that his wish has come to pass. His family is gone. Unbeknownst to him in a rush to the airport, they forgot he was in the attic. They forgot to tell him to wake up. They forgot to bring him along. He is now home. He's home all alone. He's all by himself. His family is gone. These two guys right here are going to try to rob his house. And it's not until the end of the movie, a 30-year spoiler alert, <laughs> that he and his family are finally able to reunite. Now, I realize that this movie is more well known for all the different things that Kevin does to defend his home from these two buffoons. But when I think about the title of this movie and when I think about where we currently where we currently are in a study that we began last month. I can't be help but be reminded of that. I can't but help but be reminded of Kevin's situation in this movie for the vast majority of it and where we are in our study from the book of Jonah. Remember, we started the book of Jonah last month. Remember, in our study from the book of Jonah, we found God giving Jonah a mission. God told Jonah to go and preach his word to the wicked and sinful people of Nineveh. Remember, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Remember, the Assyrians would later take the people of Israel off into captivity. They were the enemies of Israel. They were not the friends of Israel. And Jonah, well, Jonah doesn't want to go and preach to those people. Jonah doesn't want to go and preach to a bunch of heathen Gentile people. He actually hops onto a boat and he goes in the opposite direction from where God wants him to go. Instead of going to Nineveh, a city that is located in modern Iraq. Well, Jonah goes to a place that was probably located in Spain. He goes to Tarshish. He goes in the opposite direction from where the Lord wants him to go. He literally tries to run from doing the will of God. But remember, God doesn't let him get off the hook. God doesn't let him run from his amazing presence. God actually caused a storm to pop up on the Mediterranean Sea that is so bad and so violent that it forces the sailors to toss Jonah overboard. God then prepares a big fish to swallow up Jonah and like Kevin in the movie Home Alone, 
Well, Jonah now is all alone. Jonah is alone, not at home, but in the belly of a fish. He's all alone in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. And I'm not going to stand before you this morning and provide you or try to provide you with a bunch of hypothetical naturalistic explanations as to how this was possible and what exactly what exactly kind of fish this was instead all I'm going to tell you this morning is what the Bible tells you all I'm going to tell you this morning is this was possible because of God this was a great miracle of God I hope we can all agree this morning that the same God who made the Sun and the moon and the stars and the oceans and the rivers and the plants and the sea creatures and the land animals and us as human beings that same God well he's also fully capable of preparing a great fish to swallow up and preserve Jonah would you agree with that the same God who can make this world is also fully capable of preparing a great fish for Jonah in fact a failure to believe in the historicity of this story is also a failure to fully believe in Jesus. It's also a failure to believe that Jesus tells us the truth. You see, Jesus referred to the story of Jonah as a historical fact all throughout his ministry. We're going to see that soon when we get to Luke chapter 11 in our Bible reading. When we get to Luke chapter 11, we're going to see that Jesus tells us that this story of Jonah is not a work of fiction. It is not something that was, that was derived from man's imagination. Instead, this story is real. It really happened, and it happened for a reason. It happened to give Jonah this rebellious and sinful prophet another chance. Another chance to do what was right. Another chance to serve God. You see, the main thing we need to know about this fish, whatever kind of fish it was, is this fish was a vessel of grace. It was a vessel of God's amazing grace. Instead of allowing Jonah to die in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, God used this fish to humble Jonah and give him another opportunity to do what was right. Jonah certainly understood this. In fact, that's exactly what chapter 2 is all about. You see, in Jonah chapter 2, while spending time and the belly of this fish, the scripture says that from within the fish, Jonah expresses thankfulness towards God. He expresses thanksgiving towards God. He actually does this by offering a prayer to God in the form of a song. He is thankful for God saving him through this fish. He praises God. He shows adoration towards God. And I encourage you to read that chapter if you have some time today. After you read Luke chapter 6 today, take just a couple of minutes and read Jonah chapter 2. Read this beautiful prayer from Jonah. Notice Jonah's humility. Notice his praise of God. Notice the similarities found in this prayer 
when you compare it to many of the Psalms that we read last year. I promise you, you're not going to waste your time at all reading Jonah chapter 2. But this morning, I want to move along in the book and I want to get to Jonah chapter 3. I want to focus on Jonah chapter 3 this morning. In Jonah chapter 2, look at verse 10, the verse before we get to chapter 3. After Jonah offers this prayer in the form of a song to God from inside the belly of the fish, in Jonah 2 and verse 10, it says, Then the Lord commanded the fish. The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited up Jonah onto the dry ground. Now, let's just stop right there for just a moment. Can you picture that in your mind? Oh, what a disgusting thing that must have been. I mean, I got a lot of questions when I read that verse. Man, I want to know how, how bad was the smell on Jonah when that happened? How many showers did he have to take? How many baths did he have to take to get that smell off of him? How much counseling did this man need to overcome the trauma of that event? I got a lot of questions when I read that verse, but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not concerned with any of my questions. Holy Spirit's not concerned with answering any of the trivial things I want to know about, about that verse. Instead, the Holy Spirit is more concerned with getting us to Nineveh. He wants to get Jonah to Nineveh. He wants us to get to Nineveh so we can really appreciate what Jonah does when he gets this second chance to do what's right and serve God. And so we go to chapter 3 now. Let's look at chapter 3. It says, after the fish vomited up Jonah, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I have that highlighted in my Bible. A second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh the great city, and proclaimed to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, yet 40 days, and Nineveh would be overthrown. Now the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a great fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his, his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and it said in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, bees, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way. Then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. There's a lot going on in those 10 verses right there. A lot of stuff going on. So let's just make sure we take a few moments this morning and let's just break down what's going on here in the scriptures. Let's start with the first couple of verses of chapter 3. I want you to notice how like you found, like we found in verse number 2 of chapter 1, at the beginning of this chapter in chapter 3, the city of Nineveh once again is called a great city. 
In verse number 2 of chapter 3, the scripture calls Nineveh a great city. In verse number 3, is called an exceedingly great city. That language indicates that not only was this an extremely large city, a three days journey, but it was also a very prominent city. It's also a very important city. God tells Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh, the great city. And notice how in verse number three, after hearing the Lord's commandment for a second time, well, this time Jonah learns from his past mistake. This time Jonah obeys God. He doesn't argue with God. He doesn't debate God. He doesn't try to flee and go in the opposite direction. No, after spending time in the belly of a fish and getting vomited up this time, this time Jonah's going to arise and he's going to go. He's going to go and he's going to obey God. He's going to go to Nineveh. And he's going to preach a message of repentance. In fact, not only will he preach a message of repentance, but in verse 4 we see he also preached a message of judgment. He also told the people that the clock was ticking down. God was fed up with their sins. God was fed up with their wickedness. And if they didn't would repent within 40 days, well, God was going to destroy them. God was going to destroy their great city. Now, let me ask you this. What do you think would happen to me if I did something like that in Phoenix, Arizona today? What do you think would happen to me? What do you think if I did what Jonah did in Phoenix and the areas that encompass this city? What do you think would happen to me if I went through Gilbert and Chandler and Mesa and Goodyear and Scottsdale going up and down the street saying with a loud voice, repent. You need to repent. Turn away from your sins. Give your life to God. Give your life to Jesus. Do what is right because in a little over a month, God's going to destroy the valley. He's going to destroy the place where you live. Now, if I did that in our time today, what would happen to me? You know what would happen to me. People would think I was crazy. They would think I was just out of my mind. I would be all over social media. People would mock me. They would laugh at me. They would think I was a nut. Some may even ridicule me. Some may even persecute me. They'll be driving by in their cars and their kids will be pointing at me and laughing at me. You know that's what would have happened to me. If I did that kind of stuff right here in the valley, no one would take my message seriously. No one would believe what I have to say, probably. But notice what happened to Jonah. Notice what happened to Jonah when he did this in the ruthless and heathen city of Nineveh. Remember, I told you last time that Nineveh, up to this point, history tells us, had experienced a lot of bad things. They experienced an earthquake, a famine. An uh, a solar eclipse, they, they had gone through all kinds of terrible things. And in verse 5, after hearing Jonah preach this message of judgment and repentance, well, these wicked and idolatrous Gentile people, they surprisingly believed. They believed in God. 
They believed in the God of the Hebrews. They believed in God's judgment. They repented and they even demonstrated acts of godly sorrow. They didn't kick Jonah out of the city. They didn't close their ears to God's message because it was being preached by a Hebrew. They didn't arrest Jonah. They didn't put him in a prison. They didn't torture him. They didn't do any of those things instead. They actually believed. They believed the word of God. In fact, not only did the common folks believe in the word of God, but so did people in positions of power. So did the king. So did the ruler of the city of Nineveh. Verse 6 says that Jonah's preaching was having such an impact on the people that the king, he eventually got word of it. He eventually, even during a time where there was no social media, he eventually got word of Jonah's preaching of repentance and judgment. And he repented. Jonah's message is spreading like wildfire in the city. The king hears it and he repents. He has godly sorrow. He even calls on a national, for a national period of spiritual mourning. A national period of spiritual mourning. In verses 7 through 8, he tells the people, in an effort to demonstrate their godly sorrow, they were not to feed any of their animals or give them water. He commands both man and beast to cover themselves with sackcloth and then sit in the ashes. He urged the people to call on God, to turn away from their sins, to turn away from their wickedness, to even turn away from all the violence that they, as the Assyrians, were very well known for at this time. The king, the king repents and he calls for a period of national spiritual mourning. And then you get to verse number nine and he does something else very interesting. You know what else he does? He acknowledges the sovereignty of God. Like King Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember Daniel chapter four, well, this king also acknowledges that God is the one who is really in charge. He acknowledges that God is capable of doing anything he wants, any time that he wants. He told his people that if they repent, God may, he may relent. He may turn away his judgment. He may not destroy us. He may withdraw his burning anger from us so that we do not perish unlike all of the kings in Israel at this time, when this man heard the preaching of a prophet, he changed. He repented. He was pricked by the word of God. He was touched by the word of God. He acknowledged the sovereignty of God. And wouldn't it be great if we could experience something similar like that in our time today? Wouldn't it be a blessing if the leaders of our great country started being like this guy? They started listening to the word of God and being impacted by the word of God. My dear friends, I truly believe with all my heart 
that if our leaders did like this man did, we would be much better off than we are today. I truly believe that. The king of Nineveh repented. And he urged his people to repent. And then in verse 10, the Bible says that when God saw their hearts and their works of repentance, he relented. He was touched by their actions and he changed his mind. He turned his judgment away from these people and he did not destroy them. Now that, in a nutshell, is essentially what we find going on here in Jonah chapter 3. And I submit that there are at least three very powerful lessons that we need to appreciate from this chapter. And the first lesson has to do with the word of God. The first lesson, the first practical lesson that I think we need to appreciate from Jonah chapter 3 is when it comes to the Word of God, the Word of God is powerful. Do you see that? Word of God, the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is extremely powerful. In fact, it is so powerful that on this occasion it was able to, to convert an entire city of people. Don't miss that, please. Notice the entire city, the entire city of Nineveh believed in God. When the Bible talks about Nineveh here and it being a great city, please understand it's not just talking about really one city. Nineveh was kind of a metropolitan area. It's like Phoenix is made up of so many other towns or cities. Gilbert, Chandler, Mesa. That's kind of how Nineveh was also. And all these people. All these people, they all repented. They all believed the word of God. I mean, let me ask you something. Is there anything else like this in the Bible? Is there anything even close to this kind of conversion story in the Bible? I'm going to help you out with that right now. There isn't. There isn't anything close to this. Anywhere else found in the Bible, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah was a great preacher. He was a great prophet, a great speaker for the Lord. But when he preached to his own people, not Gentile people, his own people, the people of Israel were for the majority of the time, for the most part, his message was rejected. He didn't experience these kind of conversions and neither did Jeremiah. Neither did Noah, neither did Moses, Malachi, Habakkuk, Obadiah, Elijah, Elisha, Peter, Paul, James, John, even the greatest preacher to ever walk on this earth, Jesus Christ. None of those men, none of those men experienced this, this kind of success. I mean, Jonah is the only preacher. He's the only preacher that we can read about in the Bible, who was able to take part in an entire city coming to repentance. And while we might be quick to think that this was able to happen because Jonah was so polished and he was so eloquent and he was such a persuasive speaker of the word of God, the fact of the matter is, is that's not true. That's not true. Bible doesn't say that. Bible never says here. You didn't read, you didn't see me read one verse where the Bible ever says that these people were converted because Jonah was so polished. 
And he was so eloquent and, and he worked a bunch of miracles even to convince these people that they needed to turn to the Lord. Bible never says Jonah did miracles. Bible never says that Jonah was so polished and eloquent in his preaching. All the Bible says is Jonah just. He just preached. He just proclaimed the word of God. He was just merely a vessel that God used to get his message to people who needed to hear it. These people in Nineveh were not converted because Jonah was such a great speaker. They were not converted because he was so eloquent and, and so polished. Instead, they were converted because of God, because of the word of God. This reminds me of Romans 1 and verse 16. You know Romans 1 and verse 16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says that the power is in the gospel. The power to save Jews and Gentiles is found in the word of God. There's another passage I think about when it comes to this. Will you please go to Hebrews chapter 4? I really like Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and in verse number 12, the Hebrew writer describes what we're talking about right now. He describes the word of God, and he says this in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, for the word of God is living, notice, and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit and above joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is sharper, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I submit that if there's any section of the Bible that demonstrates the truth of this verse, it is this section we're reading right now. It's the book of Jonah. It's what the Holy Spirit tells us happened when Jonah preached the powerful word of God in the city of Nineveh. As shocking as it may seem to us, these wicked, corrupt, idolatrous people were brought to repentance through the simple preaching of the word of God. No gimmicks, no miracles even. The simple preaching of the word of God. God saved these people through the preaching of his word. And as our culture continues to drift further and further away from God, as our culture continues to go deeper and deeper into the paths of depravity, I think it would be wise for us to always keep this story in the forefront of our minds. I think it would be wise for us to always remember that Nineveh was a wicked and immoral place, just like we live in a wicked and immoral place, but through the proclamation of God's word, these wicked and immoral people were converted. They were changed. They were humbled and brought to the Lord. The word of God is powerful. It was powerful in the time of Jonah. It's just as powerful in our time today. We learn here about the powerful word of God in the book of Jonah. And you know what else we learn about? We learn about God's amazing grace. We learn about God's amazing grace. You know, contrary to what a lot of people believe today, the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah is not about Jonah. It's not about the prophet 
that the book is named after. It's not even about this great fish that we talk about so much today. No, the book of Jonah is not about Jonah. It's not about the fish. Instead, the book of Jonah is about God. It is about the grace of God. It is about God giving people another chance to be saved from his judgment, even though they don't deserve it. And the book started started right away telling us that we saw that with Jonah, didn't we? Jonah's the first one to get God's grace. Even though this man is rebelling against God, he is sinning. He is trying to run from doing God's will. God saves this man. He saves him through a fish. That's God's grace. And then here in Jonah chapter 3, with the people of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh are horrible, wicked, violent people, and they deserve to be wiped out. They deserve to be lost, but God doesn't want them to be lost. Jonah wants them to be lost, right? God doesn't want them to be lost. God doesn't want them to be wiped out. God doesn't want them to be destroyed. God doesn't want them to burn in hell forever. Instead, God wants them to hear his word so that they can be brought to repentance. It reminds me of 2 Peter. Remember 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 as Peter prepares us for the day when the Lord is going to come back and the world is destroyed. And 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, it says the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish. God doesn't want anybody to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This verse right here, the truth of this verse is clearly found and demonstrated to us in the book of Jonah, right? In the book of Jonah, we see that Peter was right. God really does want all people to come to repentance. God really does want all people to be saved. God wanted Jonah to be saved. God wanted the Ninevites to be saved. And if you're living in sin right now in your life, I want you to know God wants you to be saved. God wants you to be brought to repentance. God's amazing grace and his great patience is a theme that weaves its way all throughout Jonah. In fact, when it comes to God's patience, let's close by suggesting that there's a limit to God's patience. There's a limit to God's patience. Remember, the people of Nineveh only had how long to repent? They only had 40 days. They only had 40 days to get right with God. If they didn't repent during God's time frame, they were going to be lost. You know what that shows us? That shows us that while God is loving and merciful and gracious and extremely patient, there is a limit to his patience. There is a limit to how long he's willing to put up with rebellious people. The people of Nineveh only had a little over a month to get their lives right with God. But the question is, what about today? What about right here? And right now, today, how much time do the rebellious people of our society have to turn to the Lord? How much time do you have? How much time do you have to turn to the Lord if you're currently living in sin? The reality is you don't know. You don't know when you're going to die. You don't know when the Lord is going to come back. 
Any one of those things could occur even on this day. This makes our evangelistic mission extremely important. It makes talking to our neighbor important. It makes that very urgent. Talking to my neighbor about the gospel, that's urgent. Talking to my coworker, my classmate, my cousin, my aunt, my uncle, my parents about the gospel. They're not Christians. That is urgent. Me obeying the gospel and becoming a Christian. If I'm not one, that is urgent. Jonah teaches us that God is extremely patient. He is patient more than words can describe. But there's going to come a day when his patience is going to be gone. One day time is going to run out. And so if you're here this morning and you realize you're not right with God, I would recommend that you learn from the book of Jonah. Learn that while God wants you to be saved and while he's patient, his patience has limits. And so if you need to respond to the gospel, you need to do that today. You need to believe in Jesus, repent of your sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You need to do that today before God's patience runs out with you. And if we can help you with that, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.